This is the Ignition Show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of The Ignition Show, where our mission is to bring actionable insights and inspirational examples of how to tap deeper into your potential and ignite the flame within you to truly create a remarkable life on your terms. I don't know about you, but the start of a new year always feels like a new beginning to me. It's the opportunity to bring fresh ideas, a new level of energy, and excitement for the possibilities in the upcoming 12 months. It's also the opportunity to let go of baggage or heaviness of the past year. We all know this past year had some heaviness. To leave behind any disappointments or heartache or struggles and setbacks that occurred in the previous year. It's also an opportunity for that, but flipping the switch just like that is definitely easier said than done. Sometimes it feels like our past experiences or fears are more powerful than our desire to move forward. They have a greater grip on us. They hold us back in some way. And when our self-doubt or insecurities or anxieties take control of our decisions and actions, we zap ourselves of our innate power, our inner strength, to rise up and overcome. It may be well-intended to try to gain back your power all on your own, but it's usually way more effective, way more enjoyable, and simply faster to have someone guide you. So I'm excited to bring to you an experience guide today with a very special guest. His name is Christian de la Huerta. Christian has done the deep work and created a roadmap we can all use to navigate life and challenges with true empowerment. He believes we all have a hero inside of us that is stronger and more powerful than we can imagine. And he has proven it. For more than three decades, Christian has helped free people from their limitations and unhealthy relationships and set them on a path to greater meaning, purpose, and self-empowerment. His latest book, Awakening the Soul of Power, is jam-packed with wisdom and insight that only a master can compile and is a powerful reminder of what we all struggle with and what we're all capable of. Enjoy the conversation. On today's show, we're speaking with Christian de la Huerta. With 30 years of experience, Christian is a sought-after spiritual teacher, personal transformation coach, and leading voice in the breathwork community. His unique self-development programs have been experienced across the world in university lecture halls, retreat centers, corporate boardrooms, and houses of worship. An award-winning and critically acclaimed author, he's spoken at numerous universities and conferences and on the TEDx stage. His newest book, Awakening the Soul of Power, rethinks what heroism means in the 21st century and reveals practical tools to help you embark on a journey to personal freedom. Christian, I've been looking forward to spending time with you today. Welcome to The Ignition Show. Hey, Chris. I've been looking forward myself, and um, I'm honored to be uh, on the Ignition Show. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's, it's an honor to have you here. And as we were chatting a little bit beforehand, uh, I think we could uh, talk for days, uh, given the work that you do. And I'm, I'm curious, maybe just to begin with, your business, uh, you, the business name is Soulful Power. And your book, your book here is Awakening the Soul of Power. Yeah. What do those terms mean to you? Why is Soulful Power, Soul of Power, uh, why is that your thing? You know, um, what, what I've discovered over the years in doing retreat work with people is that so most of us, I would say, have an ambivalent relationship to power. We want it, but we're afraid of it. So it's kind of this push-pull. I want it, but I'm afraid of it. And, and the, the more that I've worked uh, with people over the years on this issue, is I think what the underlying fear is that, is that we might abuse it. And no wonder, you know, how many how many times have we witnessed or experienced or been part of, of an abuse of power? 
And today, all we got to do is turn on the evening news, um, pretty much globally, but certainly in, in, in the US where I live, to experience this blatant ab abuses of power. And, and, and the part of the reason that we're so ambivalent about it, that we're conflicted about it, is that we've been conditioned to think that power is bad, that power corrupts. And you know, there's that quote from Lord Acton, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. But what we weren't told is that that quote referred specifically to political power, not to the personal and interpersonal power that, that affects all of our relationships and the quality of our lives. So we end up throwing you know, the baby out with the bathwater. And, and because on top of that, we're so conditioned to be afraid of the emotions. We have turned the emotions into a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially for us men, you know, since we were kids, we were told little boys don't cry. Um, where the emotions aren't good, they're not bad, they're not strength, they're not weakness, they're just emotions, they're just energies like everything else. And, and so what happens is that because of those two factors, we sell out on our power. How many times do how, in our lives have, have we said yes when inside we really felt no? And, and we, you know, in order to, to, to avoid conflict, to, because we hate confrontation. So we stuff ourselves into, into little boxes. And so as I tried to um, work through this issue for, for those of us, I realized that that is just one kind of power. And so I started thinking about it power in two ways. And it's not a total bi you know, black and white bi binary, but there's worldly power, the way that the world relates to and thinks about and frames power. And, and then there's this other thing that I call soulful power, spiritual power, whatever you call it. And so part of what I dive into the book and dive into in the book is how are they different? Um, and so, for example, you know, the power we power the way that the world looks at it, we tend to associate with people who have fame, who who have money, who are part of some hierarchy, some you know, some, whether it's a religious or political or social hierarchy. Yep. But because those things are all external to us, you know, they're, they're fickle. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Um, and many people are discovering that with, with the economic, you know, global economic crisis and, and yes. companies and go, going belly up and jobs being lost. Um, and then, then there's the other kind of power that comes from within. Nobody can give it to us. It's, 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 it's our essence. It's, we all have access to it. Um, and it's humble. Right, whereas the worldly power tends to be kind of self-aggrandizing and it puffs itself up to seem bigger than it is, the other one is is humble. So you know, I think of Gandhi or Gandalf, if you're into Lord of the Rings, mm -hmm. uh, in their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet. You'd never know, you know, how much power was held in them until it's called for, and yes. then watch out, right? It's like Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its, at its zenith, at its highest point globally without ever shooting a gun or landing a punch. Like, talk yeah. about power. Yeah, I think Gone is obviously a great example of that. And it, it, um, I'm, uh, I'd be curious to know, you know what other examples that you have about people that represent that well. But I, I totally agree with you that the, there's, there's a lot of, there's, a, there's enough confusion around the term power or the aspect of power. And you know, I don't know exactly where that started. I don't know if you have an insight on that, but it definitely definitely comes, let's just say, in the last generation or three in a very much a masculine um, power authority uh, position. 
yeah. hierarchical position in some way, as you mentioned across different industries and whatnot. Um, so, and how is that, how do you say that, how is that evolving in, in the 21st century? And even, you know, even the last 20 years it's evolved. When I mean, you think about things like some of the things that have been impacting our society, you know, certainly the, you know, the transition of leadership or soon to be transition of leadership uh, in the US. I think about the, I think about the Me Too movement and, yeah. you know, this, this, I don't know if it's a rise up, but certainly it's becoming more of a term, this toxic masculinity, which I've got some, some challenges around that terminology. And so not, I'm, I'm not to say this is a demonizing men by any stretch, but this, it's almost in many, many ways demonizing power. So um, I guess the question is, how have you seen, what are some examples you've seen that how that's evolving, even in the last 20 years or so in our cultures where, where people are, are waking up to what this really truly is? Yeah, I think you're totally right by framing it in, in that perspective. Historically, I think ultimately, and, and so interesting that you bring up the, the Me Too movement, because I think what, what, what I think is going on when, I, when we zoom out, it's, it's that worldly egoic power comes, it's, it's the patriarchal kind of power, you know, which is hier hierarchical by nature, which is power over, which requires mm. that, that I step on somebody, that I squelch them, that I, that I put my knee on their neck in order for me to prop myself up and feel powerful. Yeah. Whereas the other I think that, that sorry to interrupt. That's a that's a I think you just nailed it there. You're absolutely right. There's this almost uh, almost hierarchy within the definition. If I have power, that means or traditionally it's meant power over someone. And by yeah. definition, that means they are less than. That's and right. I like what you're saying, that graphic of stepping on someone and, and squashing someone uh, is very it, I would call it an old school way of looking at looking at it power. Is. And, and I think you're right that it has been intensifying in the last 20, 20 years or so. And I think that's because of that, those are the times we're in, we're witnessing and living through the end of the patriarchy. Um, yes, yes. And, and again, like, and I'm so with you. And not it's not about demonizing men. It's not about putting women up on a pedestal. Women are also capable of abusing power. Um, but it's because as a, as a planet, as a species, it's been so out of balance. And, and anything that was deemed of the feminine was was turned into something weak something to be controlled uh something to be subjugated um and in and in many ways to be afraid of um you know the the mystery and 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 and, and part of what's ironic about turning the feminine into powerlessness or weakness is that you know when we when we zoom out is like wait a minute talk about the power of creation that resides in the feminine it's like wow what is more powerful than that yes uh so 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 then that's part of the reason why, why we're also seeing, right? So the election happened the next day that in this country four years ago, and then the Me Too movement emerges, rises, you know, right after that. Yeah. So we're, and, and, I'm, and, that's, and I'm not suggesting, suggesting that we go back to a matriarchal system. What I think we're heading to and what is necessary is, is a balancing, right? And, and that balance, if we expect for there to be a balance in the world, um, it needs to start with within within each of us, yeah. and, and that's one of the reasons too why even the book is obviously for everybody. Um, we all struggle with power issues uh, and get stuck in power struggles and and suppress our power and give it away. Um, but it has a particular focus and dedication for on women's empowerment 
because of what we're talking about. Um, and, and again, without idealizing or, or putting women on, on a pedestal, when women are in 50% of power in the world, we'll have a very different relationship to everything, to all the issues that we face. Um, war, poverty, hunger, how we treat the environment, social justice, wealth distribution, all of it. Yes. Uh, so when I think about strategically about what needs to happen in the world, and, I'm, and I think about, right, if I could have impact one thing that then is going to impact others, it's women's empowerment that mm -hmm. I land on. And um, yeah, and I, I, I agree with all of that, especially the, how the world is out of balance. And, and um, it also makes me think of, you know, other, um, you know, it's like, I want to kind of, kind of come back to what, some things that were said there is, is this old school view of power was a very patriarchal authority based a ruling over. But the reality is when you think of, of examples, it could be, you know, fictitious movie examples or real life people, um, examples of people who truly embodied, um, um, I don't know what the right adjective is, but the genuine power or an earned power or influential, whatever. Like the one that comes to my mind is Nelson Mandela. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And he, you wouldn't see him as this, you know, ultra patriarchal power, like the, the life that he went through, but the influence that he had. And you think of other people who are really creating movements and changing our cultures and changing societies. Rarely do they come in the form of this ego um, over the top, you know, again, I'm, I'm a little lost for the right kind of adjectives to put in front of it. Um, and what I appreciate in your, in your book is what you, you making that distinction between ego power and what you call spiritual power. Could you just define those terms and then we'll come back. I want to come back to the, the, the masculine and feminine part, but the role yeah. of ego and or comparison of ego power to spiritual power. Well, it, and it's a, it's a larger discussion that I dive deeply into in the book, right? Because it's ego power means understanding what the ego is, what the ego mind is. Um, and if we want to be free, and I mean deeply personal, in a deeply personal way, um, it's, it's critical, and if we want to have relationships that have a chance at working, if we want to have a sense of personal empowerment, lives that are filled with meaning and purpose, it's critical that we understand how the, that part of us works, the ego, um, because it is both a leap, in, a leap in evolution, it is a source of all our and, and so in a sim simple way, uh, in the interest of time, the ego is the part of us that makes sense of, of sensory information, that would otherwise be completely overwhelming. It reaches into the past, it projects into the future and weaves all of that into a coherent sense of self. This is Christian, that's Chris. Ultimately, it's an illusion and, and it's both a health, helpful illusion. It's a leaping consciousness. Right? So as far as we know, we're the only species that has a sense of self, right? So we can think of homo sapiens sapiens as humans who know that we know, right? So it's that yes. self-reflexive consciousness that makes us so smart. And it's also the source of all our, our pain and suffering. Yes. Because Ken Wilber, who writes about this stuff, you know, theorizes that humanity hasn't always had a sense of self. You know, that at some point we were at one with the rest of creation, like, the, like all the other species. So when, when that ego develops in us, that sense of personality of unique, separate personhood, um, both a huge leap in evolution. And again, it's the first split in consciousness. So now we can have 
a sense of, of loneliness. We can feel abandoned. So I mean, how many people have abandonment issues? We can have a sense of our own mortality. So there's a price to pay for having an individual identity. So there's so much to say about, about that, about how the ego works and, and it, you know, it, 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 and, and the self-made prison that it keeps us in um, because it takes everything personally. It's, it's got this need to be right. Um, it, it's, it's all about reactivity. Um, it's stuck in victim consciousness. Um, which, I, like, I like what you, uh, you use the, the, the analogy of an extreme seesaw going yeah. the ego puts us in a very superior mode versus others. So we get judgmental and knock those down, but it also swings us the other way and there are, or teeters us the other way uh, to go to an inferior position where we feel less than not good enough, not worthy, et cetera. Exactly. Um, is, it, is that all that the ego is? It, is that the ego's job, right? It swings from one end to the other. Is that uh, pretty much how it plays out? It's just how it, it is. It's a human condition. Yes. Uh, so, but, but, you know, and that's why, you know, I love the way that you, that you speak about your, 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 your website and your podcast that that it's about leap that you leapfrog superficial hats and that you dive deep into the truth of, of, of you know mindset and wisdom um, that can actually take us to to a sense of, of what's possible um, because and that's why I this this book which is part of a series of three it's the first of a series of three it's a call for heroism because this is not for the faint of heart right like like having the courage and the willingness to, to, to dive within and to understand why we do the things we do. And, and why, do we, why do we give our power away? Why do I feel reactive? Why do I, why do I react when somebody said something or, or did something that was really hurtful when somebody else sitting next to me didn't bother them at all? Why yes. do we get stuck, stuck in these patterns of relationships that sometimes feel like, like you know, we're in the same boring play with a different actor, right? Mm. So, so it's hard work. And because and, sometimes you got to remember stuff that's not fun remembering and, and analyze why we believe the things that we do and, and look at our patterns and look at our history and remember stuff that's not fun to wear, but it's to remember, but it's so liberating and so empowering. And it's the stuff of heroes. Um, so one of the things that often comes up in around the conversation of you, because I would like to dive deeper into this, is... Um, and I just say the ego, ego gets a bad rap, right? I, I, including like just in our general way of life, you know, for those who like you who've really d dove in deep and really understand kind of both the science of it, the history of it and, and the, the psychology of the ego. But even if someone's not an expert in the area, they, we all know that, yeah, you know, sometimes our, our ego gets in our own way. So it kind of gets a bad rap. Just to be clear, what's good about the ego? And what, in what way does the ego serve us or what's the highest purpose? Of our ego, and that's, and that's brilliant because there's, a, I think, there's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion about that. And there's some spiritual teachings that say that we gotta kill the ego, we gotta get rid of it. Um, you gotta because because it's the source of all our suffering. That that part is true. My understanding of it is is that as long as we're in a body in this third dimensional reality, that it's necessary to have an ego, right? It's it's what what kind of anchors us. It's like the focus of of, of our consciousness while we're in this journey of embodiment and, and that it's not all bad, like you point to. You know, there, it's not a bad thing to have a sense of self. Um, and, and the ego has good functions. You know, it's great for, for organizing, for synthesizing, for planning, for strategizing. Um, the problem is, is that we've allowed, we've gotten confused and, and we don't know 
that we're separate from the ego. Like we, we think that we are the ego. So we've allowed that tiny, 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 tiny part of who we are to think that it is all who we are. Well, I, make, sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish that thought and I'll jump in. And to make like really important, critical, life-changing choices from its very, very small, tiny and limited and always fear-based perspective. Yeah, well, what, I, what made me really stop when I was reading your book and it really made me think, I just love the um, metaphor of the stadium yes. and, the and the baseball. Can you just explain, explain that? Yeah, I mean, that's such a simple visual way to, to get what the ego is. If you put a baseball or you know, football, whatever, in, in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. Who we are is actually the stadium. And we've allowed this tiny part of us to think that it is all who we are. So rather than, than killing it, what, we're, what the goal is, is to, to heal it, right? Mm -hmm. So to do the necessary work of healing the ego so that we're not constantly at the effect of other people who figure out we have an unhealed part of us, a, a button, a personal button, because of our unhealed past and the unresolved um, conflict and suppressed, a lifetime of suppressed emotions. So we walk around like cauldrons and somebody touches one of those unhealed areas and we think we're reacting in the present, but we're actually reacting to previous similar situations in which we weren't able to speak our truth or, or to show up as all of who we are. So, so we walk around with those, with those with, so, so by healing those, anybody can press those buttons and nothing happens, right? So we reclaim agency and, and personal empowerment. And then we place the ego in its proper place. So rather, rather than letting it think that it's the sun, we put it in its proper place in orbit around the sun and in service to the stadium. Yes, call, yes. It, call it whatever you want. You know, the soul, the higher self, higher power, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's our own individual piece of sacred real estate. Yeah, no, I, I really, really appreciate that analogy because I, I, you know, being a sports fan, I could see myself on the, in the fifth deck, you know, in the, in the nosebleed seats, looking down and barely seeing that little pea pod of a baseball sitting in the middle of center field. And that is a really, um, that's, that's a visual I can really hold on to and really put things in perspective. And, you know, as you're talking about these things that, you know, we, there's buttons that, you know, we all have our own buttons that, Sometimes people push consciously, sometimes intentionally, especially people we love, like to push our buttons a little bit. But we, you know, we have to talk about us being triggered, right? Exactly. And one of the, and, and I'll say we, we ain't perfect on this, but one of the things that my, my wife and I often, uh, we talk about, we acknowledge we're not perfect by any stretch, but we recognize that when any time we, one of us might trigger the other one and there's an intense reaction, Right? We say something maybe offhand, do something by mistake or maybe intentionally, and it really upsets the other person. Um, the, the, the awareness is that anytime there's a, you know, an intense emotional reaction, it could be like a blurt out or it could be internal going to withdraw, you know, fight or flight, freeze, right? Um, but the recognition is that anytime we are triggered, it's never just about that thing that just happened or that thing that was just said. It's always going to be based on a whole series of things that have happened well before we even knew each other. Yeah. And even as I say this now, it's a good reminder because if we're, if we're willing to do the work, to step back from the situations, to get a perspective, zoom out, as you say, um, and to have a really heartful conversation about what just happened, why that was triggering, but coming from it out to the point of view of 
it wasn't about just that thing. And, it, and the caveat there is also not just about the five other times you did that thing, right? Because it's not about the other person, right? It's about the history. The unfortunate reality is, and maybe if you flip it on its head, we could see it as, you know, we're, we're, we decided to uh, wed and make that lifelong commitment to each other. And this is the person that can be our gift to help us heal from that. Even yeah. if they might be a cause of our, our triggers, but yeah. they might be also the, the, the cause of our, our, our healing from that, that had nothing to do with them. They just happened to get the brunt of it uh, in this current situation. I, mean, I, love, that. I love that. And, and what you're pointing to is how do we do a relationship consciously? which is yeah. what book two of the series is about, you know, attracting and, nurt and nurturing relationships that, that can actually have a chance at working. Um, and, and so that's a beautiful practice, right? And, and that's one assumption, right? That who is the common denominator? If I get really honest and zoom out, it's not just whenever they do that, that bugs me is when anybody does that. Mm. So who's the common denominator in all those, all those experiences? Um, and another great practice, if we wanna take relationships, like use them, that I mean, so so great. If you're in a relationship and you've got those basic human needs for companionship, sex, family, intimacy, um, then what? Right? Like, how do we use that container of the relationship to forward our own process of healing and evolution? And the way that you and your wife are practicing it is that right. So rather than immediately pointing the finger, which is what the ego is great, point the finger and blame. You did this. You did that. You never do this. You never do that. Um, then nothing can happen, right? Because the ego is also so defensive that the minute we point the finger, the other ego defends and that's it. Yes. End of conversation. Yeah. So and if you go back to what you said, sorry, sorry, we're going to say something there? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, if you go back to something you said earlier, uh, you were talking about, you know, the, this whole conversation of uh, we need to get rid of the ego. It has value. Yeah. Um, I forget the exact words you used, but it was either taming the ego or controlling or managing or, or, or healing even. Yeah. Um, what does that look like? Like, could you, uh, uh, could you give a practical example of, of what that, not necessarily, not necessarily the process, but yeah, give it a practical example of what that, what might that look like? Where does it go from that thing used to really trigger me or not just a trigger, but maybe, you know, I guess maybe the common way that people talk about egos, that person has a big ego, right? It comes yeah. from an arrogance or a, a higher than, better than kind of, like yeah. how could that person change? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so I would reframe it as saying, how can the, the we're not going to control anybody's ego. We're not going to change anybody. So start from that, yeah. right? So our job is to, heal ourselves and free ourselves and, and manage, transcend, whatever the word is, our own ego so that we don't react, right? right. So the, the metaphor is like, like the eye of the storm, right? We, we mm. stand in the center and all people, everything, uh, we, we allow everybody's drama and everybody else to surround us and we stay, in, we stay in equanimity. Letting them have their stuff and their judgments and their expectations, which they are because they don't even know their, what the ego is yet. So a great example, Here, here's, a, here's an example that we can deconstruct a little bit. So let's say, and we know this isn't true because we, you and I have not met in person yet. But let's say that you and I have um, an ongoing lunch meeting on Tuesdays. And inevitably, you show up late, 20 minutes late. No, it wasn't me that showed up late, it was you that showed up late. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Don't blame me for being, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, what, what, 
most of us in that situation, most of the time are just like, I like I knew it 20, I knew that Chris was gonna show up late again. It's like, I, when am I gonna learn? And, and he is so selfish and so inconsiderate of my time. And because we're trained and conditioned to not, to avoid conflict, um, you know, then you finally get there and we don't say anything. So put on a fake smile, but then that resentment starts dripping out. It starts dribbling out of the side of our mouth with barred jokes and, and sarcastic remarks and that kind of thing. Or the ego is also great about ultimatums. So, so it'll issue an ultimatum and say, that's it. That's the last time I ever have lunch with, with, with Chris and that's it. If I want to be free, right? If I, if, if I want to be, because Carl Jung, the psychologist, talks about how we attract people into our lives and we create situations in our lives so that we can see unhealed areas that we otherwise wouldn't be able to see. Uh, because some of those unhealed areas either in us are blind spots. So they're, they're back here. I'm never going to see it. If I look in that mirror, it's back here. If I look in that mirror, now it goes that way. I'm never going to see it. But boy, can I see it in you. Um, and so, so because so maybe... Robert, Robert also has lunch with you every, every Wednesday and you show up late and Robert's like, great, I have 20 minutes. Let me get me catch up on my email. Let me make that phone call. Let me scan the news, right? So why do I get so upset? And Robert is having such a great time and so grateful that for his extra 20 minutes. Yes. Right. So, and so then my, our work, if we want to be free is like, what's going on there? Right? Why, why, what's my button? that it gets triggered when you show up late, right? And because as long as I'm pointing the finger and focused on, on the other person, I'm never gonna get it. Yes. Never gonna be free. But if I'm willing to do the work and look, right? So the work might be something like, right, let me zoom out. It's not just when, it's not just when Chris shows up late, it's when anybody shows up late, it really bugs me, right? And if I zoom out and, and widen my lens a little bit more even, it's not just when they show up late, it's when, they cut me off in traffic. When they cut me off in conversation, it, it, it evokes a very similar feeling in me. And if I look under, if I'm willing to look underneath the anger, which is a more surface response, what am I really feeling, right? So, so and that's why this takes work. That's why it's, it's heroic, right? So I have to be willing to, to, to do the work of what, what's going on with me and, and why, what's the pattern, right? So it might look something like, all right, so, so what's, really, what's, what's, what's really going on underneath the anger is that I'm feeling not seen, not respected. Um, I'm feeling like, like you're valuing your time more than mine, so I'm not feeling valued. And the deeper that I go into that, I'm probably going to get to a place of feeling it's a worth issue, like it's an yes. issue of self-worth, which has been there way longer than my weekly lunches with you. Yes. Right. So, but so it's not easy work, but it's so worthwhile because once I get to the source of it, which has nothing to do with, with you being late, it, it's my button is about me not feeling worthy and not yes. feeling respected, which has nothing to do with you. If I'm willing to do the work and to see that, then I can do something to heal it, to clear it because, because it's, it's, it's a misunderstanding. It's not real, right? That feeling of, of lack of self-worth um, or, you know, which you also talk about in, in, in your work is that, that feeling of I'm, I'm not good enough. It's not real, right? It's a misunderstanding of a young mind that didn't know any better. Yes. 
But because of something that happened when we were kids and we were told something in a moment of reactivity and, and parents feeling out of control and overwhelmed, or we misheard something and, and personalized it, and then we reach these wide conclusions that there's something wrong with us, or I'm not good enough, or I'm too much of this, not enough of that. And we've been living out of those places, which because they're not fun places to live in, we suppress them. But suppressing doesn't make them go away. They're still, we're, they're still running the show from just unconsciously. Yes. So, so it's so worthwhile to do the work. Yeah, and it, um, I guess I've gotten to the point where it no longer surprises me but it certainly did um, kind of make me go uh, <laughs> express a little wow. The number of times when you when people do that work and people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, when they do some of the work, they realize that back in grade three on that sunny day in that classroom, the teacher said this and I felt like crap. And that's why I never fill in the blank because of one moment. And you're right that we have these um, not not yet fully formed brains, um, probably mostly when we're under 14, under 12, under 10 years old, where we make conclusions about who we are, what we're capable of, and we never stop to interrogate those unless we, you know, as adults, we do, do some work around that. And I suppose in some way it can be liberating. And I don't know, you know, you've obviously run a lot of workshops around the world and get, you know, you, you pull back the curtain on lies and help people go through this process. What has been your, I guess, I, I guess why, why I'm asking the question is, you know, for someone listening to this, who maybe can resonate with some of this, or maybe has done some of the work, or maybe is afraid to do some of the work, like what have you seen? What's the themes that you see when people go to that point, do that work, understand that it was something in their past that may have created that button that people are pressing now, how do people tend to respond to that? Is it, a, is it a curiosity? Is it a fear? Is it a sadness? What kind of comes up or is it, is it a mixture of all of them? I think, I think it's that. I think it's a mixture of all of it. It's, I think we go through, through stages of, you know, like the, the stages of grieving that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross came up with, you know, like anger and denial and eventually getting to acceptance and grieving and then eventually getting to acceptance. And in this case, it's freedom. Right. So it's I mean, it's funny that you meant to come up with a third grade example. In my case, I remember being in third grade in, in Cuba. I grew up in Cuba my first 10 years of life. And I was always at the head of the class. But at one, I got one of those childhood childhood illnesses. I forget which one. And I missed three weeks of school. Um, and so I came back and they were way ahead of me in the multiplication tables. So I was lost. And right around that time. So I was already feeling like like what's going on and sense of loss. And it was right around that time, my parents had applied for permission to leave the country for a visa to, to emigrate. And in communist Cuba, as of the minute that you did that, not only did you lose a lot of rights and property, but even in the schools, like with little kids, the teachers would call us gusanos, which means worms, because we were wow. betraying the revolution. So all those things, and I didn't put it together till later, but it, it, it came, it, it was one of those things that had nothing to do with me, like from a rational perspective, from my current perspective, it had nothing to do with me. But it was one of those unforeseeable, tragic circumstances of life that led me to conclude, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me, right? Yes. Which, which now makes no sense. Yeah, but, 
But here's the hope, though, because here's yeah. what I want, the hope that I want to impart to, to your viewers and listeners, that my adolescence was one long depression for, for other issues that we can get into. It's like one long depression with suicidal thoughts as I struggle with accepting myself um, and, and, and loving all of who I am. Um, so I know self-doubt. I know self-hatred. These days, um, no matter what happens in my life, relationship works out or it doesn't. This project succeeds or it fails. It doesn't work out. No matter what happens, no matter the circumstances of my life, never, ever do I question my self-worth, mm. ever. So I know this stuff can be healed. I, um, my wife and I have a 16-month-old son. And, um, you know, so that gives us a different perspective on, on some of these issues that we're aware of, uh, where, where kids can come to conclusions early. And, and I agree. I think, um, I think at the root of a lot of the challenges that we have as adults comes down to that, that self, you call it self-worth, self-esteem, self-image, and specifically a negative part of that. And, and um, so what is the healing process? Well, and I want to and I want to just add to that to what you just said, and then, and then we can talk about that because I, I one of the things that I, I appreciate about your work um, is that you focus so, so much on on and helping people get to their to their purpose, to their authentic purpose, um, and to cut through the bullshit right of self doubt and all the conditioning, and that you you're focused on uh, on how do you, how to elevate the mindset, um, and I loved how you phrased it, which was that I may not get it exactly, but it's sort of like, it's, it's my duty or it's my obligation, it's my obligation to fulfill my potential. Um, and that's to me what we're talking about, right? It, it's cutting through all that bullshit of that we picked up along the way and getting to that authentic expression and then yeah. unleashing our, yeah. our authentic power in the world, for not only for our own fulfillment, but for the sake of making a difference in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, let's let's talk about um, the healing process, and and, and it might might be a good segue into your work around breath work, which I'm, I'm fascinated about. But maybe we can we can frame this part of the conversation again. Let's get specific. Uh, imagine you know that someone is listening to this right now, who you know would would acknowledge at least to themselves, if not to others, that they they have a real challenge with self-image and, and personal confidence and feeling of worth and value. Um, and if their you know, awareness is, is the first step, but where, where can they go? I'm, I'm not expecting you to teach your, your full workshops here, but how would you guide someone as to how to move forward um, to, to heal that, to strengthen that, especially if they've been dealing with it for years and years and years. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in my retreats, you know, when, when I'm able to have retreats, um, I'm now doing stuff virtually on Zoom, um, but it's, it's a twofold approach. One is what you and I've been talking about, which, which is understanding the mind, right? Understanding what makes us do the things we do, understanding the patterns, um, understanding the self-made prison of the mind so that we can free ourselves from it. Uh, so part of it is that, right? And nobody can do that work for us. So part of it is, is and, and, and read the book, you know, like, and, 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 I'm mission driven, right? So this is, I'm not here to sell books. Like, yes, of course, you know, it's, it, it, it's, 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 it's by the book, but what drives it for me, it's, it's the liberating effect that it has and the effect that it's gonna have on the world. 
Yes. Um, because once we get it, I'm gonna, the book walks you by the hand, understanding how the ego works with with power practices, practical, you know, practical approach that you can that will help the re, the, the reader embody it and live it. Um, and understand the pattern so that we can stop it. So, so that alone will change everything, right? Just seeing the patterns and understanding the ego and its reactivity gives us the ability to then choose, right? Because all it takes is that moment of choice. So rather than reacting because somebody showed up late or, or, or said something to us the wrong way, we have that moment of, of, of clarity, just and it, all it takes is a little moment, a single moment to say, ow, ouch, that one hurt. How do I choose to be in response to this, right? Just bringing choice back into the equation. It makes me think right. of the, uh, the, the Viktor Frankl quote. Exactly. You know, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose how we respond. And in, our, and in, in that choice comes our growth and our freedom. That's it. That's it. And I'm, and I'm really so glad you brought him up because I, I reference him in, in every retreat. And when I was in high school in AP psychology, advanced placement psychology, I actually got to hear him speak before he passed. Oh, wow. Um, and, and for people who don't know his work, I mean, you just, you just encapsulated it. But, it's, but to give a little bit more context about him, because it really helps get it and, and grok it. Um, he was a psychiatrist, an Austrian psychiatrist, was, you know, lost everything, right? Lost, was put in a concentration camp, lost, lost his, his property, his family, his pregnant wife, kind of soulmate relationship, lost everything, right? So, so, so being in a psychiatrist, he would be in this most inhuman of situations and try to observe why some people seemed to survive and others didn't. And the more he looked at that, the more he realized that it had nothing to do with intelligence or education or socioeconomic status beforehand or, or pigmentation on the skin or beauty or bronze strength. None of that seemed to make a difference in there. What seemed to make a difference is the people who seemed to survive were the ones who, who had a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. So again, highlighting the work that you and I do and the themes that we speak about. And so being in that most inhuman of situations that we're never gonna get, that there's no way we can really understand what it's like to be in a concentration camp because every choice point that we take for granted every day, you know, do I get up at 6.30 or do I snooze 30 minutes? Um, do I have oatmeal or eggs for breakfast? Do I have white toast or, or multigrain? Uh, do I wear my red shirt or my black shirt, right? And then just those are the little choices that we take for granted, not to mention the big ones, right? What am I going to study? Am I going to take that job opportunity? Am I going to go on that coffee date? Do I stay in this relationship? Um, no choices, everything taken away from him, except for one thing, he said, that they could take everything away from him, except the ability to choose how he would be in response to that. Mm. It's like, wow, wow. If he can do it there, certainly we can do that in our lives. Yes. Yes. And so it makes me think of the, the movie, was it um, Beautiful Life? Roberto Bellini. Oh, yeah. uh, yeah, Bellini, yes. Yeah, same thing, kind of thing, right? He, was, he made it into a game with his son. Oh, yeah. um, and I always saw, always saw the opportunity. Um, great. Yeah, no, you bang on all that. And so coming back to... Again, yeah. that person who's been struggling, um, yeah. recognizing. So, it's what I'm, if I paraphrase what you're saying, it's 
one, you got to be, you know, be aware that that, that the mind is playing a game on you. It's trying to convince you, your ego is trying to convince you that you're not good enough or worthy enough. And you have to recognize that when those thoughts come up, if you're in that social setting and you kind of start to withdraw, that's just, that's just the, the conditioning that you train, but you have a choice in that moment. Yes. And that might be probably one of the best ways to interrupt that thought pattern is maybe just to take a deep breath or two. That's it. That's it. And, and I call that pattern, I don't know that I can use the language here, but I call it the self-inflicted mind F. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Mind F bomb. Um, and so, yes. So, so that's what choice means, right? That we can override the conditioning. And again, it's going to take work. The breath work that you were referencing is, is a great adjunct to that. And it really, it's like a catalyst. It really speeds up the process. So the cognitive, psycho-spiritual, emotional process is understanding the patterns and what we do, the things we do, and doing that work of, of the layers to get to the original source of, 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 you know, of I'm not good enough, right? With that memory, that, that realization of what it was. Um, and the thought, you know, that, that, origi that original wound where breathwork comes in is that it heals that original wound more quickly. It dissolves it more quickly than, than anything else I've come across. My, my father was a psychiatrist, my degrees in psychology. So I come out of the psychotherapy tradition and, and with all due respect to the psychotherapy tradition in, in the right hands, it can be life-changing and profoundly healing um, and, and with clear goals. Um, Right, because you and I both know, and most people also know who have engaged, or know people who have, who have been to therapy, you can, you can sit on somebody's couch for five, 10, 20, 30 years, and nothing really happens. Yep. Because part of the reason for that is that, that understanding up here, what happened when we were five or three or 10 or 15 is good and important, but it, it falls short often. I would say most often because that trauma now has been somaticized and lives in the body, in the tissues of the body. So no amount of talking is gonna get to it. Yep. It's a great adjunct, right? The breathwork is a great adjunct. So both are important. What, what breathwork does, it comes in and it heals those traumas um, quickly. I quickly, like and, and I just never for, the PhD when I discovered breathwork 30 years ago. Yeah, so just for, again, for clarity, for those who aren't familiar, and I'm certainly not an expert in it, but. When you talk about breath work, that's doing some practices based on breathing. Um, yeah, based on breathing, different breathing styles, different breathing approaches. Can you just give a, maybe a, a 101 on breath work? Yeah, breath work is, is an umbrella term, right? So there's a lot of breathing techniques, breathing practices. People who, who go to yoga, take yoga, there's pranayama, which, which is, you know, breathing techniques. And there's a bunch of different types that have different intentions and goals and effects. And, and they're all great, especially in these times um, of, of, of uncertainty and stress. Like having access to some simple breathing techniques makes all the difference. And especially when we're faced with, with a virus, a global pandemic that is attacking the, the lungs. Uh, so, so, and there are techniques that we can do to strengthen the immune system. The, the, breath, the breath work that I'm talking about it's, it's, it's part of that, it's, it is a type of pranayama, but it's, but it's deeper and you do it longer. It's a circular connected breath. There's different modalities and you do it for an hour, an hour and a half, and some modalities you do it longer than that. And amazing stuff happens. Like, like I know it sounds too good to be true. And to the scientific rational part of me, it sounds too good to be true when I say 
that it heals not only emotionally and mentally and spiritually, but even physically. And But I've got the stories, I've got the evidence. I can't argue with 30 years of results and personal experience. Yes. Can't argue with that. And, and on top of that, you can have some of the most amazing, ecstatic, blissful experiences that help us realize, you know, one thing's hearing me say it or reading it in a book, Another one is experiencing yourself as the stadium, right? To pop mm -hmm. out of the limited perspective of the baseball. And so I would, again, just kind of um, play back what I'm hearing, but also just paraphrase it, that it sounds like this, this, this field of breathwork and um, you are certainly an expert in it. You didn't invent it. You've, you've borrowed and learned from experts before you and standing on the shoulders of those before you. And yeah. but this, this field of breathwork, it is a, it is a focused modality, focus process. It's not about just breathing in your everyday life. It's like, I'm going to do some work on myself now. And um, because of the depth of it, it, it starts to, you know, it can release what the body has remembered as some of these past traumas, which, you know, another way of looking at that might be what the subconscious has kept, kept you kind of anchored to ways of the past or stuck in ways of the past. Um, and I agree with you that no amount of thinking is going to get you out of there. You've got to do some of this somatic work. And um, um, so, so do I, did I capture that right? Completely, beautifully yeah. and, and eloquently. Yeah. Um, and, and, and yes, you know, it's, it, it's so powerful um, that, it, that it's hard to describe. And, and it's hard. I don't think we have the science yet in terms to understand how it works, how just breathing you can actually have physical healings. Not only, not only does it heal past trauma more quickly and effectively than anything else I know. And I'm talking about, I've worked with people who have experienced rape and sexual abuse and, and, and violent loss of loved ones, you know, that, that in front of their eyes, that kind of thing. And that stuff gets healed, lives change. And it doesn't take decades. It doesn't even take years necessarily. Some, sometimes it does. Um, and from your experience, yeah, your experience, especially, it's always good to see, hear examples that are maybe on the, on the, on the far end of the spectrum, there's real intense traumas that have happened. But in your experience, when you, when you say heal, does it, does it, does it actually mean never again? Are they influenced by that? Or is it more a case of, it's, a, it's likely that they will still, you know, find themselves going down a thought pattern, but they are much more equipped to not let that rule them or control them as much as it has in the past. I think it's a great question. And I, it, I think it is a progression. And so it's both with permanent results. Yes. So, so for example, um, and, and, and so, and it's also an example of, of how this works, which, Ultimately, from a from a, like a three third dimensional reality, I don't know how to explain it to you. I can speak I can speak about it from a psycho spiritual perspective, and we can do that later if if we want. Um, but here's a story: a woman did a, a retreat re, a retreat with me, and we did four breathwork sessions. And when you do them back to back, it has like a cumulative effect. From the beginning, when we were talking about the kind of things we were about the ego and and choice and personal accountability and all the stuff that we talk about she was stuck on her ex and and how her ex was you know victimizing her and they owned the property that she lived in and he wasn't paying into but he wouldn't 
sign off so that she could sell it and move into a smaller place. And, and that was that was the story. I mean, that was that was the theme. And I kept telling her in different ways, you know, it's not about the house. It's not even about your ex. Right? This is about you. And and but she wasn't ready to hear that yet. By the fourth session on, on Sunday, she had a moment in her breathwork experience where she saw herself kind of like an, like an angelic being flo floating above her ex and she saw herself kissing him on the forehead, which we talked about later, what that symbolizes, she, she had forgiven him. Hmm. She, and I'm not exaggerating, I'm not making this up. That was on Sunday. On Monday, she got a call that they had an offer on the house. So how does that work? I love stories like that. Like how does that work, right? Yeah. So so here's my, my spiritual interpretation of that is it's, because that's really the only, the only way that's, that makes sense to me. Maybe science will be able to explain it at some point. Um, but if we think about all most spiritual traditions in the world, and even some secular languages like, like Norwegian, the same word, one word can mean spirit or breath, depending, depending on how you use it. And so to me, that's the power of the breath, right? So we think about pneuma in ancient Greek was both mind, or, I mean, soul and lung. From the Latin root spirata, we get both respiration and inspiration or expiration. So, and on and on, you know. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so, so to me, that's the connection that makes sense, but doesn't make sense to the rational mind. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think a lot of those, uh, you know, the field of, uh, whether you call it spiritual development or uh, the, the blending, I should say, of, of the, a lot of the spiritual practices and the, and the, and the psycho-spiritual practices, but also the modern science of quantum physics and quantum understanding. Yeah. We're starting to, you know, modern science is starting to now explain yeah. what thousands of years of practices have uh, understood. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a wonderful time of the world that we're living in, in spite of a lot of the challenges. It's a, it's a wonderful time of the world to do this. And, and there's no doubt that you know, your message is needed at this time because there's a lot of suffering in the world. Um, and to free people from that in, in simple ways um, or ways that are accessible. Again, especially in this, you know, global shutdown of pandemic, you know, the access to, to you, like I have you now, um, but the access to, to whether it's retreats or other ways of actually um, doing the work doing the work with guided experts, it's never been easier, never been easier. That's true. And so I encourage anyone who's listening to this, who's, you know, this message has touched you in some way today, or has got you curious some way today is, is take some action because one, absolutely, you're not alone. Um, there are millions of people who have been in your shoes before and have gotten through this and you deserve it as well. And two is, uh, there's no need to extend that suffering is to time to, you know, it is time to reach out and, and do something to, awaken your soul to what is what is possible and i suppose christian before i ask you the final question where can people learn more about you and get in touch with you or maybe even you know do some of your retreats and, and learn from you yeah i'm starting a, a 30 day i'm about to launch a 30 day um virtual coaching program that'll walk people through throughout the book and um the you know of course not the whole book but the the it's it's like 30 days to soulful power uh, to help people identify 
our obstacles, you know, our in, in, internal obstacles to power and understanding the differences, understanding the ego so that we can break free, break free and, 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 and really step into social power and, and I mean, into, into our soulful power. Uh, my website is soulfulpower.com, um, S-O-U-L-F-U-L, power.com. Um, they can also, you know, find me through, through the book, which is accessible um, in Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and, and a bunch of other online websites. And of course, your, your local bookstore, if, if you have one near you. Yeah, great. Well, we'll include those, uh, those links in the show notes as well. My, my final question, Christian, for your time on the Ignition Show, what do you hope to ignite in the world? Hmm. Beautiful question. I think that's part of part of what what I've realized and after writing this book and actually beginning to see it come into the world is that that what I was doing all along was a kind of a, a primer to how we step into power, um, and it's a and and it's a call to action and it's a call for heroes, right? So what I see igniting in the world is is hopefully millions of people. Um, freeing themselves, you know, from, mm. from, from the limitation and, 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 and self-made prison of the ego um, and unleashing our, our soulful power in a way that is a match for who we are. And then unleashing that on the world and perhaps connecting with each other, finding people who are also on a similar path and beginning to explore what it is that we may be able to do together that, that may not be quite as possible separate and alone. Um, and it's, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's the most critical time um, that we're experiencing in the evolution of humanity. I think the planet will be fine. Might take a few million years. Uh, life will continue in some form and it will find homeostasis again. Whether we make it, hmm, right? <laughs> we're just beginning to witness whatever it is, it is that we have unleashed on the environment, which is the big looming crisis that, that the crisis that looms behind all the other ones that we're facing right now. Um, so from that perspective, when if anybody has, has had the slightest inkling or suspicion that, that they have work to do as teachers, as healers, as activists for change that have that desire to make a difference in the world, this is it, right? This is the time that we've been waiting for. Yeah, well, well said. Well said. It is the time. It is the time to, to do this work. It is the time to free us from those limitations that have been uh, either we put on ourselves or unbeknownst to us, however they got to us. We all have them. And the, the more we can free ourselves from that, the more we are freed to show up in the world as, as truly that we want to. So I really honor you, Christian, for the work that you've been doing and um, the world needs you now. So, so I, I look forward to hearing about your next book and your next two books that are coming out in your series. And um, uh, I wish you all the best in the year ahead and for the work that you're, you're doing. Thank you so much, Chris. And I really honor you and, um, you know, the platform that you created and, and where you come from. And my God, your accomplishments with the, the Ironman, it's so impressive to me. Um, so, and, and the credibility that that gives you um, to connect with people that, that, you know, maybe wouldn't hear it from me in the same way you have such levels of wisdom and credibility and from a practical embodied way that you also come through that makes all the difference. So thank you so much for all you do um, and have done on all our behalf. Thank you for, for having me as a guest. Uh, th thanks very much for those compliments. I very much appreciate it. All right, we'll speak soon. 
That was Christian De La Huerta, author, speaker, and transformational coach. You can find all the links in our show notes. We want you to get the most of the time you've invested listening here. The show is only valuable if you apply what you learned. And most learning, as we know, is generated from reflection. So we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned or found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com connect and let us know what struck you. What was it that you heard today that you really needed to hear today? You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there. Or we'd love to hear your comments or follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. It's a shorter follow-up episode where we, my wife and business partner Sarah and I, talk about what we learned from this interview and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in Apple Podcasts. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and our website, and respond to as many people as we can. And lastly, remember, whatever you dream of, whatever you hope for, and secretly wish you had, you're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.